There's a story inside every smoke shop, with every cigar, and with every person. Come be a part of the cigar lifestyle at Boveda. This is Box Press. Welcome to another episode of Box Press. I'm your host, Rob Gagne. And today I'm at TPE and I'm sitting down with Ian Reith of Dapper Cigar Company. But Dapper Cigar Company, if you know anything about me, has been on my list of top cigars every single year. Why is that? Well, one, they're slowly launching their lineup all the time. Two, it's really good tobacco. And three, it's Ian Reith, Dapper Cigar Company. Why not? Ian, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. This is uh, this is a lifetime experience here. I'm going to check it off. This has been a long my... time coming. Has it? Absolutely. I've I been feel wanting... like I haven't earned this chair until You've now. You've earned this chair a long wow. time ago, and I've been wanting to sit down with you and talk to you okay. about your brand journey because it has so many intricate ins and outs, and it truly is a journey of somebody who has no family in the business. And literally comes from a consumer's perspective to say, wow, I'd like to try to figure out how to make one of these things. One of those things being a cigar. And more importantly, you've had to make a bunch of other things to go along with that cigar to make it a brand that it is today. Well, if the cigars don't work out, we're going to make hats. Yeah, exactly. The swag is killer. So if you get your hands on dapper cigar swag, I think the line was from one of your articles was, we put as much money as we do into our premium tobacco as our swag because we want people to wear it, not just throw it in the closet and go, ah, oh, that was cool. That is true. That is true. I mean, it's that's about caring about just, you know, what you do as a company, right? You want to make good products. You want to make good cigars. You want to make good hats. Right. Like, you don't want to give a hat. But not everyone thinks of it that way. They think, well, I just got to put swag out there so people wear it. Well, if right. they don't like it, they're not going to wear it. So right. you're you're one step ahead of the majority. Yeah, uh, maybe, but you know, part of it is uh, as a business, right? You're going to look at swag. A lot of people look at swag as being um, can't believe I'm talking about swag, but yeah, a lot of people look at swag as being a expense, right? It's just something right. you got to do, but you don't spend a lot of time on it and just put stuff out there. But the reality is, you are basically making products just like the products that those are endorsing that you want people to be passionate about and wear because they're essentially advertising your brand for free. I so know. why wouldn't you make great swag? Everybody should make great swag. You made great you swag and you even Sorry. made some onesies for my daughter, which I am so thankful for. That's my wife. I didn't make those your myself. Wife. My wife, wife did. Uh, and it was uh, our it was her pleasure to do so. Such a, uh, and such I was a treat. just yeah, I was just happy that they came out great. And, so uh, now even my daughter has swag from <laughs> Dapper Cigar Company. It's a whole family thing. It's a generational yeah. thing. We're just gonna keep passing it on. It, it is. It is. Uh, I, I don't know if it's legal. I don't know if it's cigar, totally legal. Okay. Okay. It's totally legal. I go with you on that. You know, I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. But more than important, I want to know right off the bat because I think it's such a cool story is the whole naming of the company dapper cigar company yeah you got here that you had a neighbor chris is it alvarez yeah yeah he was like an old school barber right no yeah he, he kind of like, did that the old school barber vibe was like his thing right he yeah. was he was cutting hair he had that kind of old school like 1920s look yeah yeah so he was really hip on like nostalgic 
and you're as as well very nostalgic in your brand so he looked at making it into something that says like now now that's a dapper cigar is what he says to you and you look at you looked at that and you're like that's a good cigar name yeah so the you know the challenge you know step number one right if we were to do the uh steps to start a cigar company at some point you have to hit the proverbial what do we call it absolutely now it helps if your last name is spanish <laughs> check that box no that wait a minute let's launch you. let's challenge that it may not help because i don't know how to pronounce it so i actually think you have an edge because i can pronounce dapper and i know well, exactly what it is perhaps it was it was all part of my master genius yeah. plan <laughs> This that is, I think you had with Chris. I was ahead of my time. Out late, smoking a cigar and just shooting the shit. Yeah, we we had a, it, you know, I, we couldn't figure out what to call it. And um, uh, I couldn't figure out what to call the company. I wanted something that was simple. You want something that can resonate with people. Uh, you know, and you, you start thinking of all kinds of stupid things. Like, you know, if we're going to line up on, a, on an internet search page, or if you're going to go to a catalog listing, Right. Don't you want your company to be kind of close to other big companies? Hint, hint. Uh, you know, in the alphabetical lineup, right? Right. So it's kind of a little bit of marketing. D thing. gets you up there a little high. It's not bad. It's you got some heavy hitters around you, you know. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I used to call people. That's a true story. I used to call people in California. I call retailers. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just calling retailers, just seeing if they're going to even be interested in buying our cigars. And there's a lot of older retailers. Some of them have a little hard of hearing. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. They're a little hard of hearing. So I would call them, be like, ah, oh, this is Ian Reeve and Dapper Cigars. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. I go, yeah, I'm selling cigars. And uh, I'd say, hey, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be in your neighborhood. Do you mind if I stop by? Oh, yeah, at three o'clock. And I get there. And they look at me and they go, you're not from Davidoff. And I go, <laughs> you're right. I'm not. But now I'm here. Let's see if we can say, <laughs> you know, so it kind of does work. Um, but yeah, Chris, he lived at that time across from me. And uh, he was just focused on an old school barber cuts. Um, and you know, I had no idea. And he just looked at the cigar. We made that first Kubo band, another yes. generic name, very generic, very easy to say, almost cliche. But he looked at the band and he said, that's that's a very dapper looking cigar. So I go, up oh, there it is. I'm not going to think about it anymore. Done. I'm going to I'm going to go on Done. moving on. So, you know, eight, 10 years later, whatever. It's, and how uh, did how did the name Kubo come up? I uh, came with a cube cigar. It was, a, you know, it was, I, I don't know if you remember back about 10 years ago, eight years ago, there weren't a lot of completely box press square cigars. Right. And so in pure gimmicky fashion, I thought, why not make a square cigar? Right. Okay. Drew Estate comes out with a square box press cigar, the Java Mint. Oh, yeah. Like two years later. That so thing I go, is well, that was square. obviously a, well, it was a dumb idea to begin with. And so we just rolled with it because we had spent enough. I had spent enough money on it that I said, I got to make this work. Dan, our designer, uh, did a really elegant throwback to kind of old school Cuban vibes. And uh, so that's how that happened. So, you know, we started with the C and a D name and both of them very generic. Uh, Kubo is actually one of the few brands out there that have a trademark that are that close to Cuban. It's very oh, really? rare. Yeah, it's very rare. It's uh, something to... Uh, kind of proud of that i don't know absolutely <laughs> yeah. and you kind of made it up kind of made it up it was supposed to be a cube cigar you didn't just, work out yeah you just made up kubo right yeah it was Put two words terrible together. idea terrible oh, i idea. love it yeah I, it's yeah. great so there you go brilliant 
We're off to a good start. We got the name <laughs> of the company. We got a good name to a cigar. Right. We can go to retailers, right. con them into meetings, right. and then sell our cigars. And attempt to sell our cigars. Attempt. Attempt, yeah. It's, that's uh, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where it gets hard. It's brutal. It it's soul-sucking. <laughs> it's soul-sucking. It's soul-sucking. Yeah, it's, you know, I listen to like a lot of these podcasts, and you hear um, all these comedians talk about bombing like I'm, when you get up there and you just totally fail. Bombing. Bombing. Yeah, like you, you bomb go on stage, you bomb. Yeah. Right? You fail. There's booze, et Crickets. cetera. Crickets. Uh, that is the equivalent of selling cigars on the road. It's that feeling for two, three years. It's why you, do they bomb it? Why do, well, why do the retailers just say, nope? It's tough. And it depends on your area, too. So I started selling cigars in Northern California. Northern California is a brutal territory to start selling cigars. California is a tough state to start selling cigars. Uh, and when you don't know anything about selling cigars, it increases your uh, chances of bombing every time. Yeah. You know, learning curve is probably steep there. It's, 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 it's brutal. <laughs> it's soul sucking and brutal. It's, we'll get into that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But first I want to know, how did you even get your idea or concept for the business? Like what made you say, I'm going to try opening up my own cigar line. Uh, naivety, you know, you just, you just go one step at a time and you just try to con your mind into saying, all right, next, next thing we got to do is this. And next thing we got to do is this. And you just keep plugging away. And it helps to be, uh, very naive about a lot of things, I think. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, the, if I knew how soul sucking, selling cigars on the road would be, I would have never done it, right? It loses its luster, the passion behind it. It's like, whoa, this is totally different than smoking cigars. All of it, right? In the business, if you think about, if you knew all the inside baseball stuff and you knew how challenging it was to establish a new brand in cigars with all that's happened in the last 10 years, any like semi-intelligent person would not do it. Right. So you have to be really naive in order to keep plugging away and keep doing what we did, you know? But so you're a consumer. Yeah. And you're thinking, like you've always said, you just, it was like a hobby that just exploded for you. You were like yeah. immediately into it. You wanted to know more about it. Right. And that fueled your desire to say, let's see if I know how to make one of these. And that's really how you set out. It was like, I just want to see if I can make one. Yeah, I mean, that's really it. And you start from scratch on everything. You start from scratch learning how to find who to work with. Where do I buy tobacco from? What factory do I make cigars with? How do I print bands? Where do I print bands? You know, what do I have to have to sell this cigar? What, do, what kind of, you know, do I got to register anything? Do I got to pay any taxes on that? I mean, all right. this stuff is like, um, you're finding everything out for the first time. Yeah. And so there was no one there to lead you through the gauntlet. No, no, there was no uh, cigar companies for dummies book, which I will be uh, producing later in my career. That would be great. A a cigars Z. for dummies book would we're be gonna, awesome. We're going to sell it right in the entrance. Absolutely. At the trade shows. It'd be good. Trademark. That's trademarked. But, you know, yeah. we'll we'll figure it out. You know, Miami Herald bestseller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Piece of cake. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, but. I feel like I got that. I got a lot of that, those lessons. And, you know, when you meet other cigar makers, you, you so share you were, a lot of things. You were getting educated through other cigar makers telling you like, oh, hey, here, try this or do this or yeah, how you, you get through that hurdle. It's such a small business, you know, 
So how did you meet him though? It started by basically going to retailers. The retailers that I were uh, visiting became friends with them. I would talk to reps. Uh, interesting story: the Kubo band. You know, we print those brand, uh, the bands. We print all of our bands at a company named Vrydog in Holland. Uh, That's the premier band company. They are they are one of the premier printers in the world for bands. Hell of a company. I mean, they sold uh, paint to Van Gogh. I think. I mean, you know. oh my gosh. They yeah. sold paint to Van Gogh? Yeah, that's, I, that's in their These literature. guys are artists. These guys are no joke. So uh, I would have never been able to print those bands had I not met Nelson Alfonso at a cigar event in Fresno, California. And um, I, sh I literally showed him my artwork on the cigar uh, that I cut out, like paper. Like I printed it on my you know inkjet or laser and I cut it out. I was like, yeah, and we got to talking and the guy was so nice. And... I had actually tried to contact them a year prior and they were like, yeah, we don't really have any room right. for guys looking to print. <laughs> we don't like, have any room for some. Yeah. Well, Who, they, they, who's this? They asked me like, how many bands did you want to print? I'm like, I don't know, a thousand. <laughs> and it was, we it don't was even crickets. fire the machine up for that. You're right. It's crickets, right? I don't know. And, uh, so I told them the whole story and, and whatnot. And, uh, he looked at me. It's true, sir. He looked at me. He goes, you have to do this. You have to print this and you got to print this as Rydog. Why? He just, I don't know. Just Because of the artwork? Just, no, I just loved what I was doing with it. It was very intricate. It reminded, he's European. So a lot of that old school kind of look, not a lot of companies are doing bands of that kind of intricacy Yeah, because you anymore. got like some old buildings in there. It's got a yeah, very- Yeah, it's very intricate, yeah. beautiful scenery of, uh, of a Sunset in the background. Yeah, and there's a steeple kind of deal in there from a, a famous Cuban city. And this is the Kubo cigar band Correct. that we're talking about. Correct. The and first cigar. Uh, no, he said, uh, you have to print it. You have to print it. You, have, you have to, to print it. at right. Yeah, you have it's, to print it. It's gone from, yeah. eh, um, no, we're printing this. Well, when somebody's, power suggestion, right? Yeah. When so. Nelson Alfonso, and Nelson's uh, company is Golden Age Empires, he prints and does all the production for Cuban. So all the Habanos, SA bands, all that stuff. He also has designed all the Atabay and Byron cigars, those high-end cigars that you see in the U.S. Uh, he's the designer of all of those. They're all printed, I think, I believe at Rydog. And he told me, you have to print these and you're going to use our rep and I'm going to send a note to him. And now so you got an in. Yeah. I had to print a hundred thousand, but you know, green light. Yeah. That's the hundred thousand was a little rough when I heard 100, that. hundred thousand? Apparently it's a small number, but when I heard it, I, I nearly shit myself. Oh my gosh. I was like, dude, we got to sell a hundred thousand cigars A hundred thousand cigars. You went yeah. from a thousand to a hundred thousand in the click of a button. Bands, just the bands. So in just the bands. Yeah. But anyways, uh, you that, still got those bands? Have you ever had to reorder Kubo bands? Uh, we ordered a lot of different bands. Yeah, yeah, we, okay. yeah. We went, yeah, we went through them. <laughs> How long did it take you to go through the thousand? Long time. Thousand? I think we just got through them last year of that okay. specific line. And you've yeah. been out since what year? <sighs> Who knows? Not very good with dates, but it's got to be at least six years on the market. Six Five years. years on the market. Stuff going. That is tough. Tough going. going. Yeah. The but road, that's one line. You the know? road is not easy. The road's not easy. Yeah, I mean, we really haven't seen you know the last couple of years have really been exponential for us the first you know the first few years if you look at those charts it's like a slow ramp right and then it kind of starts curving up really high what do you so. think makes customers engage with your brand more now is it the exposure you've gotten through other medias all of it yeah guys like you i mean um 
people like you play a tremendous role. Um, we don't do any advertising. Um, you know, it's it's a company no philosophy. No advertising other than your swag. Yeah, that's it. No so no print. No. No online because you really can't do it anyways. No. Well, you could on some of the cigar media sites. Yeah, yeah. But it's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah. And... What no magazines, lo no well, rating local, sites. you have neon signs for retailers. We have retailer signs, yeah. So we're talking about like very rudimentary advertising. Yeah, everything like, that we do is made from us. Did you ever take out a phone book ad? No. <laughs> Thought about it. In Miami. No. In Miami. No, Dapper ranks high. Yeah. Put a triple A in front of it and we're golden. Yeah, yellow pages. Yeah, right yeah. next to the uh, attorney. You know, the guy, that, <laughs> the accident attorney. Yeah. The darn it yeah. attorney. No, we haven't done it. You know, we haven't done it because one, uh, it's expensive. Yeah. And two, we actually don't feel like a customer you gain from an advertisement yeah. is as meaningful as a customer that you gain because they bought your cigar, they loved your cigar, or they love something about what your cigar company is, whether it's a story, whether it's a referral from a friend, any right. of these things that resonate, whether it's somebody saw a hat. We got, well, you know, one time we got a, uh, an email from somebody and said, I was flying in a plane and I saw this hat and I loved it. Can you guys sell us this hat directly? And at that time we weren't selling the hats and we said, no, but you know, we'll see if we can find one for you. But person didn't even like cigars. They just saw just the like hat the brain. on a plane. Isn't that cool? Pretty cool. That says a lot about yeah. the styling of your brands. I think it's. We've done well with that. Uh, our designer, uh, Dan Greta, is just, he's a rock star. He's, he's world-class, and we're just happy to have him uh, on the team. That's, you know? that's unbelievable. Were there moments, especially in the beginning, where you thought, this is going to fail? I'm, I'm out. I, I, thought can't. That, I thought that way this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah the, you know, this morning, I thought about throwing in the towel. You, you think about it all the time. The, really? Yeah, you have. Uh, yeah, because the cigar business is so brutal. It's you know from a manufacturing standpoint, it's just getting good news in the cigar business. When you get it, you almost don't even know if it's real. That's how infrequent it is. Whether it's legislation, whether it's uh, you know FDA stuff, whether it's production problems, whether I mean even when coronavirus came out, when I would say about March of last year when it first came out and it literally felt like the world was coming to a standstill. You have a respiratory disease. It's March. And what are all the retailers going to do? They're not going to order any cigars. Right. They're going to sell what they got in their inventory because they don't know if they're going to be around. And when you sit there for a couple of weeks and you see a trickle of orders, you go, dude, is it over? You know? And wow. that little experience is like everything, you know, when the FDA decides, hey, we're going to ban this or we're not going to allow this or you're always constantly going, oh, my God, is this really the right decision? Is this really the, the right business to be in? So, you know, it's, 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 it's a constant thing in the cigar business. You have to really love to make cigars in order to be in the cigar business on a long term. And I think that's why you see a lot of cigar companies that are small come in and they leave after a couple of years because they just haven't, there's just too many of those bad news moments. How right? did you convince retailers that you weren't a flash in the pan and you were going to be around for a while? Because you, I mean, 
it's one thing to say you got the passion to do it, but I'm sure a retailer is like, yeah, I've heard that from the other six guys that left. So we still, with, we still deal with that today. And the only way that we can convince them is by coming to trade shows every year and consistently really? putting out new product and consistently showing that we're in here. We're in it to win it kind of thing, you know? Right. There's no other way because we can, I could, you know, a lot of retailers will come to me at trade show and go, well, you know, we don't know if you're going to be around next year kind of thing. And, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, well, me neither. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it jumps on you, buddy. No, uh, but that is the reality, right? The reality of it is, is that the only way that you can convince retailers to buy in that are skeptical of that is that you show up year in, year out, and you keep releasing new cigars and you keep growing little by little by little by little. That's the only way I know. Right. I don't know of the other paths. I just know the path that I've gone through. And I know that from my experience, these things have kind of worked. And the more tenacity and the more, you know, you start to develop, you start to harden a little bit, right? It's like everything. I think every business and every venture is probably very similar to that. Yeah, there's definitely a need to keep it going yeah. internally yeah. and then externally. So to me, that means for you, there's probably sacrifices that you've made. What are those sacrifices that you can list that you're like, yeah, I definitely made that sacrifice to keep the brand going? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's every sort of sacrifice that you could possibly have. I mean, um, financially very difficult, you know, and let's face it, uh, finance is what you got to, you got to be well capitalized. If you want to go into cigar business, you have to be able to generate, you have to have money. You have to be able to keep up inventory. You have to put money into the company and know that you're not going to see that for a while. And was there uh, ever a time you looked at the bank account and said, I just don't have the money to do it. You mean other than this morning? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, there are lots of times when you look at what's going on. And on the manufacturing side, um, on the manufacturing and company side, our margins are very slim. You know, I'm not going to speak for everybody. I mean, I know what we do and I know kind of in general what the market's like, but you know, you have to run a very tight ship, I think. Uh, and, um, and you have to be prudent with the money. I mean, hence the, you know, is it a good idea to spend $5,000 to advertise on something? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. Right. Uh, and when you're building products too, you know, if you're printing bands that are super high quality, if you're making boxes that are super high quality, you are choosing to invest a lot of money up front into those things with the hopes that they will pay off because you really don't know. Right. You know, so there's your, cause you can have a, lot a of risk. very fancy look and high quality feel, but if, people right. don't smoke it, mm -hmm. you're not going to get the return on your investment. Yeah. And, and even when you do have the cigars out, you know, you blend these cigars, you make this packaging, you, do, you invest a lot of money up front, but what's the guarantee that that product is going to resonate with consumers? Right. You know, uh, I'll give you an example, you know, the Kubo brand that we started originally, our other brands have done, uh, have done very well and compared to Kubo. The first one. The Kubo Claro and Maduro, we weren't able to really move it after we were selling El Baracho and La Madrina and Siempre. Really? Every, yeah, everybody was buying these other oh brands. God, that Kubo Claro is my favorite. Well, there you go. 
for whatever reasons, right? So uh, what ended up happening, and this is kind of like ego, is I decided, well, obviously, we need to redo that brand, right? Because the All brand's right. awesome. I mean, yeah. who doesn't love the brand? Yeah, hey. brand's awesome. So we went through insanity developing the Kubo Sumatra. The backdrop is insane. It's Cuban village. It's like, if you look at the backdrop, it's insanity. It's Star insanity. Work. It's insanity. And it's a great cigar. Right. But at the end of the day, it still does not sell as well as La Madrina and El Baracho, et cetera. So, you know, I don't think about it too much. And my current opinion is that you have to have like enough uh, humility to be able to say that sometimes when we do these risks and we make these brands, they won't, they don't resonate and sure. you got to put that guy to bed and you got to move on to the ones that do resonate. And so that's what we're getting better at doing in the last couple of years is we're saying, Hey, look, we're not going to beat this dead horse. Right. Right. Uh, and we're going to move on. We're going to keep progressing. So, I don't even know if I answered your question. You totally did. Question. Yeah, uh, you totally did. I think it's really interesting that cigars are one of those unique things that it's like, kind of like coffee, what's in it matters. Right. And how it's been treated really, really matters. Right. From the fermentation process. Um, you had said your hope is that uh, customers become more educated about what goes into the cigar to really judge it as far as its quality. Yeah. Um, but what do you think the consumer needs more education on? Because that's a hard spot to be in because, well, limitations on what you can disclose and what you can't right. through FDA and whatnot. Right. And then two, I don't know what you paid per right. pound to make this. Right. I don't know your profit margin. Right. I don't know if I'm getting a good deal. I just know when right. I smoke it, I like it. So what else right. do I need to know? Yeah, I mean, uh, what frustrates me about the cigar business, and to this day, I think we do a very bad job in the cigar industry as a whole. Uh, I look at uh, wine, for instance. And with wine, there's a remarkable uh, descriptive and detailed uh, just every product that you see coming out, you know, Napa wine, European wine, there's such transparency when it comes to the ingredients. Sure. They, they don't even, I mean, they'll tell you not only the country, they'll tell you the species, they'll tell you the hill it's grown up. They'll tell you the lots in the hill, in the right appellate, in the, you know, because they're very proud of it. And two, it matters. It matters. Right. And I think it does matter. And one of the things uh, I would like to see personally, you know, it's going to take a bit to get there, is to be that descriptive so that consumers know when they're smoking that cigar, this is why the cigar tastes like this. And this you, is why I like that. I got a suggestion then because mm -hmm. I interviewed the guy you buy tobacco from, John Oliva yeah. Jr. Yeah. And John taught me that you can plant tobacco on the left side of the road and it comes out peppery and in the exact same, almost same spot, 40, 40 foot difference because the road separates the two plots on the right side of the road 
comes out more sweet. Exact right. same seed, exact same varietal. It right. all matters on where it's planted. Right. So as the blender, right. can you give me some tasting notes on, hey, I planted this seed varietal because I wanted the sweetness to come out of it. And I planted it over here because it brought that. Right. Right. I think that would be helpful because to me then now you're getting down like wine territory. You're getting into terroir. Why does it matter why you chose this field? Right. And why you picked these ingredients. Right. But a lot of people in the industry shy away from telling me what flavors I should be tasting. Are you right. afraid of telling people what flavors they should be tasting? No. No. I mean, uh, we try to disclose, you know, we're probably one of the fewer companies that, you know, you can go to our website and any tobacco that we can disclose, we'll disclose it. We'll tell you what the binder, wrapper, filler components are. And if we can disclose the farms, we'll disclose the farms. Uh, if we can, if it's available. If it's not, you know, it's because of various limitations with brand conflicts, et cetera. Uh, but uh, I want to be 100% transparent about it because I'm very proud of it. And I would love to convince uh, others in the farming uh, aspects of it, uh, you know, I'd love to sit down and, and uh, talk with John about getting real deep and providing lots of information because they have such a hard job growing that tobacco. Yeah. And we're also talking about a product that changes year to year. And that's something that the wine industry is very good at. If you have, you know, more rain in one year and it affects the crop, they vintage very well in wine. We don't vintage at all in cigars. We really don't. Should we be? I think we should. Why shouldn't we? Because if but somebody says, hey, I, I tried Nel Baracho. I tried your San Andreas one uh, five years ago. Eh, didn't really like it. Well, is that the same El Baracho that you're going to try five years later? Shouldn't be. But what about the consistency that you're trying to provide through a, a blend? So I, from right. what my understanding is, is like, okay, if the blend has changed because of the climate or because of the terroir, now I need to re-slightly alter the blend to come back to my home base right. of where I started this blend in the first place. Right. And Are there's you only playing so much that? you could do. Yeah, but there's only, you're trying to get the high level. Okay, so you're, right. you're saying there's limitations there and you might swing Absolutely. based off of vintage. Absolutely. And, and what vintaging would allow you to do is it would allow you to explain the differences, the slight differences. And it would also help uh, us as manufacturers and retailers because if you have particularly great vintages, people will buy those and seek those out. Uh, but then what if you don't? You're stuck. If you don't, yeah, that's bad. It's bad news bears. Yeah, bad news bears. But hey, you know, we'll roll with it. <laughs> Gotta have some bad vintages. You know, Dom Perignon's not great every year. Yeah, right. I see that at Costco. You telling me that's the best one? <laughs> No way. Costco got the 2009 vintage. Yeah, the 2009, right? And you take it over to your friend's house. He's like, oh, 2009. That's not good. That's so good. That's not good. But 2008, <laughs> that's money. Hey, I don't mind our cigars being that way. Yeah, we really? got to shoot for great vintages every year. All know? right. And you then like if, the pressure. And look, we'll just do like the cigar industry. If it goes really weird, we'll just have them reprint the good vintage bands. Oh, okay. Did I just say that? So no. just slap a, slap a sticker <laughs> yeah, on it. We need more 2008s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You're building a lot of trust with our uh, clientele now. That's a terrible joke, but we joke about those kind of things in the cigar business because there is so many outlandish. 
things that can be seen. You well, know? and you're I mean, kind of pointing out that there's a lot of opportunity to not really be guided right. by a set of strict rules. Right. I right. would say the wine industry is pretty heavily regulated. Very much so. And, you know, when you look at even places like France where they grow uh, like champagne uh, or they don't grow champagne, but where champagne comes from, or you look at like, you know, I, I drink a lot of Italian red wine, Brunellos and stuff. Oh, my gosh. these The control that the farmers and producers have to have in order to uh, call themselves those categories of wines, it's pretty regulated. It's, you right. know, for the good thing, because when right. you pick up that product at the store, you know that there's a certain level of commitment and, and process to that. Yeah, you yeah. want it to taste the way it's been reviewed. Right. You know, you spend $75 on that bottle of celebration wine, you should get yeah. the same review in Wine Spectator, whatever that. Right. That bottle got. Or if you buy a bottle of champagne and they made it with, you know, different grape. Well, right. That would be a little weird, you know, but uh, yeah. So you've also talked about, especially in the beginning of starting your brand, you were really trying to stay in tune with what the customer was wanting. Mm -hmm. That led you a little bit away from your true North Star, your true hey, I know what this could develop into and what this brand could be. When do you think you need to listen to the customer? And when do you think you need to shut it off and listen to your intuition and your brand yeah. awareness? Man, good question. Um, real good question, because uh, when you get on the road or you're in the cigar business, you get a lot of input. There's no lack of input. Everybody's going to tell you what you should be doing. The shirt that says, I smoke cigars and know things. Yeah. That just means I like to give you my opinion. Correct. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of opinions. We don't make enough Lanceros. We don't make enough Candelas. We don't. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, my current position on it is that I try to think about what I would like and what other people would like. And if it's sellable, then we see if it sticks. Okay. We make the product. We blend it to what I think is going on. You know, if, if the market is tending to be heavier and we don't have a heavier cigar, then we need to make a heavier cigar. And then I combine that with the data because now we have the sales data. So we've been around a little bit enough to now know, okay, well, what is a, when we sell a new brand, how does that look? Right. If it's going to be a good one and it's resonating, what does the pattern look like? Right. And it turns out that it's pretty predictable because when you make a good cigar, people will reorder that good cigar. Oh, yeah. And when the brand resonates, they'll order more. They'll continually order more cigars of that cigar. You'll get a lot of uh, new customers coming to ask you about that cigar that maybe you, know, you didn't previously uh, experience. Um, so there are some indicators. See, it's a combination of like intuition and just data, you know, yeah. and you have to be humble enough to say, look, if this thing doesn't work, we are not going to try to make it work. Like we're not going to shove this round right. or square peg into the round hole yeah, yeah, because yeah. we love the brand and think that, look, the consumers decide at the end of the day, when they go and they buy those cigars, that's the vote. And whatever they buy, the, the, the ones they buy the most, those exactly. are the ones that win. What are some of the best suggestions you've received during the buildup of Dapper Cigar Company? Mm. You know, um, 
I have a pretty small sphere of people um, that I talk to about the business and about the cigar experience. It just just because just I'm not out a lot amongst the community. I'm not doing a lot of trade shows and stuff. And I just my nature. Uh, but I take a lot of advice from a guy named Gustavo Cura. He's a, a mentor of mine with Oliva Tobacco. And he runs know, the factory down there. He, yeah, he is overseeing Noxa and Oliva Tobacco's uh, uh, Prosa Nixa, their fermenting and sorting operations in, sure. in Nicaragua. He's been a very, very good personal friend of mine. And he gives me a lot of great advice. And his advice is not only from him. But it's from advice given to him. Sure. Because he was very good friends with guys like Frank Anessa and the Olivas, of course. And, you know, you know, a, a simple, great piece of advice that he gave me was Frank Anessa. Uh, he, Frank Anessa told him that you knew a cigar was good when the guy was smoking the cigar and he was halfway through the cigar and he would you know, reach over in his pocket just to check to see if he had another cigar. Because <laughs> that's how you knew that that cigar was good. I got to make sure I have another one of these. Yeah, you, that's that's why we got to have the pocket, right? So uh, so advice like that. Um, lots of guys throughout, you know, this last eight years have given me little tidbits like that that you kind of put in the memory banks. But that one really sticks out. Um, it's good. Yeah. So you're really listening to the customer's reaction, yeah. but you're still honing in on yeah. your North Star of this is what I want to do. This is what I want to blend. And especially that's where you're getting all that from Noxa right. and from other people as well, because you've worked with other blenders outside of Noxa. Yeah. I mean, uh, right now our concentration is Noxa. Uh, in the past, I've worked with a gentleman named Gonzalo Puentes and we've we blended the Cubo uh, Claro and the Maduro, the originals. And, uh, you know, I mean, right now I work with Noxa uh, and Raul Diesel a lot. Raul Diesel is the uh, production manager there. And working with Raul is very, um, it's very productive because there are some people in life, you know, when you work with them, they're, uh, and their experience, if they've gone through something 20 and 30 years and they've yeah. been in something, generally they will have formed very strong opinions about their preferences. Don't use this tobacco. Now, when they tell you don't use this tobacco, is it because they don't like tobacco? Right. Or, and that's what happens. Raul, remarkably, is the most open-minded person about blending that I've ever worked with for somebody so long in the industry and we'll sit there and get in downright, you know, kind of arguments a little bit, <laughs> no more Omatepe. No. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's very productive. And he always tells me, he's like, look, these are your cigars. So you have to be happy with these cigars. And that's rare because to have that kind of working relationship, the other day, I'm not down there in the production facility day in and day out like Raul is. Right. You know, and uh, it's very important that we have that relationship and he is able to look at all of our blends with, you know, virgin eyes. Sure. That's hard to do because you get even myself, 
you get you get hardened and you get set in your beliefs and you go, oh, I'm not going to do that because of my prior experiences. But then to look at everything new and say, I think this can be improved or I think we should revisit this or I'm open to using this tobacco. I'm open to doing it this way. That's been a lot of our success in the blending category, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. Good suggestions feed new creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Gus is like that too. He's always looking at improving things. He's never content. It's always what can we do better. Right. And that's hard because cigars are also traditional. So you're battling innovation and tradition. Yeah. You know? Your brand is very traditional as far as you're pulling from the roots that have already been there, but you're really amplifying that in your brands. When you're looking at naming a cigar line, you've said like El Bracho came from, now I might, what are the cards that your your wife, they're like these Hispanic cards. Yeah, Lolo Teria. Lolo Teria. They're bingo cards. It's like a Mexican bingo game. I think it might even be Spanish bingo game. Okay. Yeah, very popular in, uh, in Mexican Hispanic cultures. And uh, they're great cards. Uh, the, the artwork is great. And the, the, the names are great. Matter of fact, there are some other cigar brands out there that have names similar to the bingo cards. But El Baracho came from that bingo card. It came from my wife. And uh, it was a great call. This is a tremendously successful brand. People like drunks, apparently. It's, it's, a good, it's a good play. But the whole idea was like, you're, you're calling it the drunkard. Right. Right? Right. But where did that, that name come from? Why did you even decide well, to go down I was down drinking there? a little bit too. I think she, <laughs> I, I think the power of suggestion uh, was involved there. And uh, Was it a card that you saw and you're like, that's a cool logo? Yeah. The card, if you ever see it, is a, is a drunk guy with the bottle, you know, yeah. tipping it away. And uh, yeah, it, 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 to me, we took that and then we made it, we cigarified it. Sure. You know, we, we turned it into a cigar brand like we would want. And uh, uh, Nel is funny. Nelson Alfonso actually came to me uh, several, you know, after we released it at the trade show. And uh, he looked at it and he's like, this is very nice, but you should have called it Las Barachas. Like, huh? I'm what like, does that Nelson, mean? We just uh, female drunkards. Female drunkards? The female drunkards versus the male drunkards. Okay. So I was like, uh, Nelson, we already printed everything, bro. We, there's, right. there's no redos here. <laughs> like, we already invested all this. We, we can't. No, but thank you. I appreciate that. No, he's meaning in a very uh, nice way. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, all of the brands. We take these concepts. We try to make it relatable. We try to make it simple. We try to make it resonate with consumers in some way. What do you think, though? So as far as like a consumer... For me to know a little bit about El Baracho, the story behind how you even decided to name it, then the artwork goes together. Yeah. The whole thing as far as maybe even the blend is supposed to be palatable for the everyday smoker. What how do you make sure, especially with no advertising budget, how do you make sure you get that message out to the consumer? And what do you think makes the consumer connect to that? Yeah, that's tough, man. That's uh, if I had the answer to that one, boy, oh boy. But you're trying to do some of these things to connect that message because you say that it's right. important to tell that story so that the consumer gets connected to it, right? Right. You know, as an example, El Baracho, there's a lot of Spanish speaking 
people in the United States today. California, I mean, where I live, uh, heavy Spanish influence, maybe 50% Mexican. LA, right. you're looking at the same situation. Uh, Texas, you're looking a lot. There's a very large Hispanic uh, movement in the US. That brand connects very well off the shelf because it's a low Loteria card as well. And it's almost like a sense of joy when somebody sees that brand. And that brand is one of our few brands where people will just stumble on it. You don't get that opportunity Kind of like a the lot. El Bracho. You don't, yeah, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Stumbling around. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Uh, yeah, you don't get that often. Now, we've tricked them or we've created this imagery and this name enough for them to spend 10 or 12 bucks for the cigar. Now the cigar has got to be good. Right. Now the cigar has got to live up to it. And it, Correct. And what if we made that, that cigar, you know, full, full, full? Well, how many people in the market are smoking super full cigars? And all those people that bought that cigar because they resonated with the name. Can no longer smoke it. They're not going to smoke it, right? They're going to be like, oh, my God, I tried it. And it made me throw up. So the story does but, matter. Sto story does matter and everything I think has to I mean, to if align. they threw up with El Bracho as the name, I would say there's still a connection we could infer there. But, you know, yeah, we, we, we don't want to We're going to make that, that cigar. Yeah, right, right, It'll be right, the hangover. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you have to, in that particular sense, like things have to align. You got to make a medium-bodied cigar, I think, because if a guy gets that cigar. I mean, we get so many stories of women coming in to buy cigars for their husband. And what do they pick? They pick that one because it gets a little chuckle. You know, they go, oh, you know, perfect. Cinco de Mayo. This fits my Crush husband. it on Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> oh, it's like, it's, you know, everybody, everybody's at St. Patty's Day cigar or right. Halloween cigar. We're Cinco de Mayo. We got there Cinco de go. Mayo locked down. There um, you go. La Madrina, same way, resonates with a lot of people because it's a very, I don't want to say gothic looking brand, but it is. It's a very, very uh, Renaissance kind of medieval looking thing. It has a skeleton thing. arm holding a rose. Right. Why right. did, what's right. the story behind naming it La Madrina? What right. does it mean? Why the skeleton and the rose? Well, you know, we wanted to go in with, the, you know, we're in California. We're very heavily influenced by Mexican culture in California. Uh, my wife is Mexican. Uh, it, Day of the Dead is a it's a real interesting holiday right and guys like uh, John Huber for instance at Crown Dead did a great job with that Las Calavars amazing amazing cigar and branding I thought right and I just wanted to make a cigar that was themed around the Day of the Dead and but then you run into really weird issues because you're selling cigars, but then are you going to be promoting death? Like, it's kind of like, uh, right. it's a weird one. It's like, you know, you don't, it's a real fine line. It's for all us funeral directors out there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we got you. Still uh, hold my license. So I'll smoke it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we had to come up with a theme and a look that illustrated more of the beauty of death, per se. And the gist of kind of the holiday and what that remembrance of the dead kind of holiday means and encapture that in a brand. And that's where a guy like Dan, you know, he's best in the world. He creates these things 
by graphically representing them really beautiful. And the hand in the rose uh, is very iconic. We get it's our most popular cigar, uh, and everybody loves that logo. Is that a fuller bodied cigar? It is fuller bodied cigar. And it's it your most popular body. cigar. Is yeah, it's our most popular cigar. Yeah, so maybe, both in the U.S. and the uh, maybe, U.S. and overseas. Maybe a lot of people are smoking fuller bodied cigars. They are, they are. Uh, but uh, that particular cigar, we kind of don't feel like we have to apologize if somebody gets a little nicotine buzz. It's because really well balanced. You know, it does have a skull hand on it, so it's like we did warn yeah. you. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, it's not like you know. So it wasn't a uh, sunshine and roses. No. No, that's cool. It does have a rose on it. Yeah, it does have a rose, but it, you know, we, we get so many, uh, and you know, that re remarkably also that cigar resonates very well with, uh, with women as well. Strangely enough, a lot of women love that cigar. We Why do you think they them. connect with it? The artwork? It's a rose. I think the artwork. Really? Yeah. yeah, I think it's the artwork. So, uh, we'll be announcing some, uh, some new things with that brand to expand it in the future. You always said like a large goal of yours was to personally dedicate some time, maybe commitment on the education front. You had kind of dropped a hint in one of your interviews. You're saying, I won't go into specifics, but I'm working on a way to integrate all of my stories, my learnings, and my experiences in this industry to really dive deep and get consumer consumers involved with all the very specific parts that go into making a cigar yeah we failed on that we haven't done that well yet but it you is failed on it well i had a grand duo's dream that it would be further than what we've done um i wanted to really really take people into every aspect of cigar making uh it was uh it's kind of a bit of a expensive project that i've shelved a little bit because of the amount of resources it would take to do some of the things that I wanted to do. And I think also my problem is I want to do it in a very high quality. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it's still, that's at the forefront of the company. Like everything that we do, we try to be educational about it. We just don't go in, you know, if we do an event, we just don't go in an event and just say, Hey, look, yeah, it's Nick Rogan, this and whatever. And Woodsy, chocolatey, enjoy. Right. You know, we try to, tell the story about the cigar. We try to experience, explain the experience of the cigar because we think that that matters, right. you know, uh, in the cigar business at least. Um, so that's what we try to do. And we want to do much more. Um, yeah. In the future. Still working on it. Perfect. Still getting there. What do you think makes it so expensive to do though? I'm trying to rack my brain when you said that. I'm Production like- Production costs- you know, um, and doing it of high quality, you know, I mean, like, you know, you guys, the setup here, very <laughs> nice grade a production costs. I feel like, you know, we could shoot like, uh, we could shoot a short film with the stuff. Sure. Here. This is, yeah, it's great stuff. We but, got the talent. Yeah, exactly. So shout out um, to Steve. It, it's shout out to Steve, man. This is a incredible setup here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean to produce these kind of things and also, there's a lot of uh, transportation involved, right? I mean, because in the States here, we're on the sales side of it. But really, where all the magic happens is out there in Ecuador, out there in the fields, out there in Nicaragua and Honduras. And there's some logistics 
to capture everything and to describe everything to the detail that I want to do it uh, sure. in a really kind of geeky way. Unfortunately, you know, I want to really, because I believe that if you tell these things and you show everything that's going on with cigars, people will go, wow, I can't believe I didn't spend $30 for that thing. Like I got it for 10 bucks. Right. Amazing. What right. a deal. Yeah. What a deal, you know? But if so. you do go to DapperCigars.com, you will find a lot of that content. Yeah. You've done a really good job of making sure that that's at the forefront of yeah. everything that you put out. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, used to be that everything was catalog based in the old days. Now it's website. And uh, I stopped even giving out. We, we used to have this catalog that had all these detailed stories and everything. And like, why should we do that? Like nobody just ends up in the trash. Put it on the website. Put it on the website. So we just steer everybody to the website. And then we just try to be as descriptive as possible with the scars. Tell, we'll tell every ingredient that we can. And, um, you know, I mean, it's worked out well for us. We need Are to the more, stories but, of how you name the cigars on the website? Not yet, but that's part of it as well. Yeah, that's right. another prong. Challenge. Another prong. That's, yeah. Story's important. The, stories the story are important. is important. Yeah. It gets me hooked into not only the cigar, but also the guy behind the brand right. or the gal, whoever it is. Right. It really makes me then feel like, wow, I could, right. you're so passionate about it and you bring so much to it. And it's not just a cigar that you want to make and get out on the market. It's something that you creative, you creatively made. It's kind of like good food, good wine. It's a real high-end process that goes into doing it. Yeah, and, and the other thing that we want to tell more of is the story of the people behind making these products. I'm the one that gets to do the interview, uh, for good or bad, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes that that's their life. It's their, you know, every day they're doing these things that make these products. And so I we want to, we want to, get people into their stories as well because their the, stories are part of our story as well do the cigar rollers smoke your cigars uh no we don't allow them to we don't we don't have enough product right now for uh production no they do smoke our cigars they do yeah, yeah they do yeah absolutely you know the, the, it's funny because i always ask you know there's a guy down there in knox his name boris boris is a production manager um and boris which strange name for nick robin guy right boris right. you would think uh russian or something but um I used to play a joke with him where we'd walk out in production floor and I go, Hey, uh, I want you to tell me which, which, uh, which of the supervisors are smoking our cigars. And then he would point them out and I would go like, you know, kind of harass him and just, you know, tell him how great the cigars was. And then I go, Hey, I want you to tell me which ones don't like our cigars. So then we, th that's even better. Yeah. So we would just go over there and I would just, you know, talk, talk trash about you know, playfully. You know, tell them they have no taste and that kind of stuff. It's real fun. It's all in good fun. Right. But uh, yeah, they do smoke our cigars and it's important that they do. It's important that guys like Boris are constantly smoking our cigars. Right. Because if there's a problem, they're the first one. They're the canary in the coal mine. So you want them to be smoking the cigars out there, making sure that they're right. You know? Awesome. Yeah. Love it. I think they're shutting us down here. They're shutting us down. This is going to get weird. No, this is perfect. It's mood lighting now. <laughs> We're getting into the, the deep cuts. Yeah. <laughs> the deep cuts. Second take. This is perfect timing for the lights to go down because I do want to end on this really cool story. Once you launch the brand, sounds like you have a favorite cigar moment. 
you finally release the Kubo Clara. You gave it to your dad and you both sat out outside the porch and smoked. What did yeah. that mean to you? Yo, that's, that means everything. You know, uh, my dad didn't smoke nice cigars. He smoked very cheap cigars, um, admittingly. Sure. Um, he smoked affordable cigars. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was a blue-collar person in the military. Um, there's, in his life, smoking premium cigars. It had a young family, and, you know, he just couldn't afford it. Sure. But he loved cigars. He smoked them almost every day. Uh, usually with a good, good alcohol, yeah, a moderate amount, of course. Uh, and, um, you know, when I sat there and we, you smoked Connecticut cigars as well. And when he was smoking that first cigar, I remember him just telling me, this is so much better than what I was smoking. <laughs> that means a lot. That's yeah. a huge one. Yeah. It's cool to have that moment with your dad, especially after making such a big accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. It means and, the world. Keeps you going. Him, to recognize that it's uh it's really the ultimate form of flattery it, it really was that that meant more those moments like that not that there's anything better than that but if i make a good cigar and i give that to a friend and they genuinely enjoy it it you get a lot of satisfaction from that it keeps you going but that's, that's awesome. the ultimate one yeah keep it going ian you're making <laughs> great it. cigars we appreciate it we were smoking the Desvalido. Desvalido. Yeah. During this now medium bodied or medium full. A little medium bit more full. on the fuller side, yeah. Really a well balanced. Elements. A lot of should be well balanced. So Enjoyable. good. Yeah, glad you like it. Thank you all for watching another episode of Box Press. Ian, thank you for being on. I appreciate you so much. Get out and try Dapper Cigar Companies. Uh, everything that they have to offer, dappercigarcompany.com. If you need anything as far as keeping those cigars fresh, head over to Bovet Inc. And if you enjoyed this, go ahead and hit that like button and subscribe because we're trying to bring more and more conversations with makers like Ian to your doorstep. And we appreciate you. Thank you all. Have a great night.